0: Welcome to you who are watching via our online source, YouTube, and if you're just coming in this week, we are finishing up uh, a book, a one-chapter book in the New Testament called Philemon, and we dealt with the first half of the book last week. You're welcome to kind of research that if you missed it. Most most of you, as I looked around, I, I think we're here, but we covered last week, several things, the fact that um, Paul is writing to Philemon, thus the title of the book, that it is uh, the only real personal book of Paul that has been canonized. Of course, his letters to Timothy and Titus were were very specific and personal, but this letter is is a very uh, the only personal, classically personal letter of Paul's to Philemon uh, of Paul's period and he's written it to Philemon who uh, as we mentioned last week just briefly giving us a little background before we move forward is uh, someone that Paul had brought to the Lord. Philemon was this uh, man who according to Scripture and historical evidence as Paul was in the area of Ephesus and and that region, somehow Philemon came across his life path. Paul, being the great apostle that he is, wanting to see all men saved, convinces Philemon of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Philemon becomes a Christian. And in that conversion... Uh, you know, don't take that lightly. I mean, anybody who comes to faith in Christ, it's like the angels sing, oh my goodness. It's like all of heaven is rejoicing. It's like they've been translated from darkness to light, from death to life. And, uh, you know, in some circles, amen, hallelujah, yeah, yeah. You can do that this morning if you so desire because we have this transformed man who now begins to open his home as i mentioned last week his house became a church and his his kindness to the saints his love for the saints and his love for jesus is documented in the book itself that it was it was widespread how god had transformed philemon and that during this period of time in his Conversion process, being uh, an Athenian, and in that culture, Philemon had a servant. He had a slave, one who was named Onesimus. And Onesimus, being a slave in Philemon's house, was uh, responsible to stay out of the way, to be invisible, to just serve his master. It wasn't of those. Onesimus was invited to the family gatherings or the the regular meals, as we saw so well Friday night. The culture was different. If he was a servant, he served and left, served and left. And yet somehow, in the exchange of Paul and Philemon, somehow Onesimus must have come to understand that there was a man named Paul, That had had a relationship with his master. But as we saw last week, Onesimus left his master without permission. It's true also that he took something of Philemon's, and so now he's not only a slave, but he's a runaway slave. In, a, in Roman culture, he could be killed. For less and so Onesimus is on the on the run, and he he's flees to Rome, and we don 't know what it was that somehow connected Paul to Onesimus, but somehow Onesimus found paul and uh, wouldn't you have loved to have been in the room when Paul led Onesimus to the Lord, because maybe Onesimus came for a meal, maybe he came because of his conscience. Maybe maybe on the streets he heard from the riffraff that he was trying to hide and become invisible in that over in that house over there, there's this man named Paul. And he's, he's a wonderful man. And then this, we don't know, conjecture. Oh, I think I'll go see him. Maybe he'll give me a meal or something. And gets in Paul's grip, and Paul's grip is like, Onesimus. Hey, I remember you. You remember me? Yes, I was in your master's house, Philemon. Oh. Come, come sit down. Let's chat. <laughs> One thing leads to another. Onesimus is convinced of his need for Christ, submits and is saved you can say amen and not only does paul gain you know another brother in the lord but the text bears it out that onesimus became this like family member to him a friend he became a, a a companion that while Paul was in Rome, he had someone to to share with and to to enjoy company with. And yet Paul knew after talking to Onesimus, getting Onesimus's testimony of of what he had done, I've left my master, I stole from him, Paul realizes that even though it's going to break his heart, he needs to send Onesimus back. Because... Onesimus is reconciled to Christ. Philemon is reconciled to Christ. Paul is reconciled to Christ. But there is aught between Philemon and Onesimus. And they are now one in the body of Christ. And remember what the scriptures tell us. If you have aught with one another, and you find yourself at the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you, what are you to do? Leave your gift And go and seek to be reconciled to your brother, your sister. There should be no schism in the body of Christ. Paul says, I'm I'm going to send him back to you. And my heart is that you receive him as you would me. That's my heart. Philemon, he's coming. I'm sending him back. We remember that we, we struck on the, the value of an appeal. Paul could have commanded him, I'm the Apostle Paul, and I command you, Philemon, to take him back and, and be nice to him and forget it all. But I won't do that, he says. He says, I appeal to you. The value of personal appeal in relationship. So we pick up this account in verse 15. Uh, 14 rather. I'm sorry. Verse 14. He is going to send him back. And he says. But I don't want to do that without your consent. I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be. By compulsion. As it were. But voluntarily. In other words. Philemon. Again. I told you I was appealing to you. But. But. I'm sending this letter ahead of him and with him so that I have your consent to do this so that as you receive him it's not something you're doing out of compulsion in this sense would have been a negative word compulsory Oh, Paul's making me do this okay I'll do this but know that you would voluntarily do this that it would be out of Voluntary. And we come to um, what we want to cover this morning in the short time that we have together. What I would call four uh, very powerful principles in the last half of this book that address Christian behavior in our lives. And the first has to do with things being voluntary to volunteer our heart, to volunteer our life, rather than just doing it because, well, I know I'm supposed to, but rather be willing to volunteer your heart and your life. Remember David, when he had gathered things for the house of the Lord that he never got a chance to build, but his son Solomon would build, we're told in 1 Chronicles that the leaders and the fathers of the house, the leader of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, they offered willingly. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehael the Gershonite. And then the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord and King David also rejoiced. Beloved this morning, remember this, that God desires nothing to come from you that doesn't come willingly in as an offering. If you ever feel that you are constrained, pressured, to serve, to give, to be, that's not the heart of our Father God. He desires that your heart be soft, compliant, and when the opportunity comes to serve in a way or to give in a way to his work or to be Christ-like to someone else, that it's not done out out of a... A paradigm that, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do, rather. It comes from the paradigm of, Lord, here's my heart. Do this through me. Remember, uh, as it relates to, uh, let's talk about church tithing and uh, giving, uh, because there are two different principles. We talk about the tithe and free will offerings. Um, you guys are so faithful in this church. Uh, oftentimes we're overwhelmed at how benevolent you are. But it is a reminder when we come to this subject that uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, this is the advice I give. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so also there may be the completion of what you have. For it is, uh, for if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. And maybe some of you are struggling or considering would be a better word of, of the subject of tithing at a church or giving a freewill offering. This is a reminder that, that God desires that you, and you've been thinking about this for a while, and this is that morning he's saying, go ahead and do this, but if you're going to do it voluntarily, not out of constraint or compulsion. When it comes to caring for people, especially in, in pastoral ministry or leadership, uh, Paul reminded I'm sorry, Peter reminds us in his book, 1 Peter 5, 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And so we find this principle here in Paul's letter to Philemon, that I'm I'm asking you to do something very hard, which is to, Change how you look at this man who was once your slave, who illegally left you and disloyally ripped you off. I'm asking you to change. But don't do it because I'm asking you. Volunteer your heart to the Lord to do it. We come to a second principle as we move on here in verses 15. Paul reminds Philemon of something very powerful that I want to remind us about. Notice verse 15. He says, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? You see it there? Paul saying, Philemon, let me paint another picture for you that perhaps this happened as an ordained act of God that would work for good in your life that this happened for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. Many of you are probably familiar with Paul's letter to the Romans and that passage in in chapter 8, classic passage, that sometimes I hear Christians repeat the verse, but I'm not sure that they've really embraced the truth of the verse. I speak, of course, of Romans 8, 28 that says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Many of you maybe have been able to recite that verse even now as I say it. But do we remember what's in front of verse 28 and what's after verse 28? For in Romans 8:26 it says, likewise. The Spirit also helps in our weakness for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, the circumstances of life, the person of the Holy Spirit working in your heart and mind, producing sometimes groanings, like, God, I don't understand this. But I know you're interceding. You're, you're, Jesus, you're at the right hand of the Father praying for me. Spirit, you're, you're helping me understand how I'm supposed to pray. And... I know that you're working all this together for my good because I do love you, God. And there is a call on my life to follow you, to to be your servant. So then why is this happening, Lord? Why, Why are the circumstances quite like this? to which Paul continues in Romans 8:28 with verse 29 speaking of God's omnipresence and sovereignty for whom he did foreknow he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn by many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestine, he also called, whom he called. These he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, I'm shaping you. Philemon, this happens so that God can shape you more into the person of Christ. How many times do we come upon this subject? Oh my goodness often, right? That's because it comes to us often in Scripture. Was Philemon, you know, yes, church in his house, great guy, kindness and everything. Does that mean God was done working on him? No, that just means God had a real willing vessel. Oh man, here's here's a great guy. He's, he's got some Great beginnings going on. Let me deeply carve myself into him with this act. Philemon, God is sending him back to you so that the very thing you would not ever want to do as a a man, as a slave owner, as an Athenian you will do voluntarily because of Christ in you. We call that, I will call that this morning, if you're taking note, acceptance with joy. Being willing to accept the circumstances as they are with joy, knowing that because I love God and he's called me into his glory, that he's he's working it all out for my good. I just don't quite understand it all. So we have the subject of a voluntary heart. We have the subject of acceptance with joy. Paul moves on to a third principle in verses 17 and 9 through 19. He says, he asks a question. Well, it's. Somewhat of a statement, but it's posed in the question. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with you, this is what we read, with my own hand. I will repay, uh, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own and so Paul here gently reminds this brother you know if it's if it's a monetary issue Philemon if what you're worried about is the thing that he took it amounts to X I'll give you X back put it to my account tell yourself that Paul owes you X No longer does Onesimus O-U-X. But while we're on this discussion of who owes who anything, remember, you actually owe me yourself. Was it not I that brought the life of Christ to you? Was it not I that shared with you the gospel? Was it not I that, that put everything else aside in my life to spend that time with you that you might know eternity? Oh man, If put yourself in Philemon's shoes. What can you say? Do you remember who it was that led you to the Lord this morning? Think about that for a moment. Who was that person? Where were you? Who is that individual that God uses an instrument to to open your eyes to your need for Christ? Maybe it's collective. Maybe each testimony is so beautiful. But at some point, somewhere, would to God that you can remember the hour, the day, the moment you said yes to Jesus you have not done that yet he's he's whispering to your ear this morning today could be that day if you're watching at home and you could do that in the privacy of your living room but if you so desire don't leave here this morning without letting one of us pray for you but this must have brought Philemon back to oh I remember Wow, yes, I do owe you, Paul, my very life. In that sense, though Paul was just an instrument being obedient to God and there really is no, you know, no vested owing and giving in, in the work of the kingdom of God. But it is what I will call, as we're winding this up this morning, the assessing of relationships. Relationships. It's good to occasionally assess the relationships that you have. Remind yourselves of, of healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships. Nurture those ones that are healthy. And those relationships that are unhealthy, that don't encourage you in your walk with God, be uh, guarded someone about how much the influence of that relationship has in your life. Of course, we have many examples in Scripture of good and healthy relationships and not good and unhealthy relationships. You remember, of course, Moses and Joshua, great team. Moses would one day pass on the leadership and the mantle to Joshua. David and Jonathan Loved one another very close. Naomi and Ruth, beautiful relationship, healthy in that it, it forged God-seeking in both of their lives. Lydia with the Apostle Paul as he visited the town. Mary and Elizabeth. Encouraging God-seeking relationships in your life. And then, of course, we we remember the fight that Jacob and Esau always had, always fighting, always one-upping one another. How can we not remember the tragedy of Cain and Abel? Remember David's relationship with Ahithophel, his counselor who went south on him? Jezebel and Elijah, not a good relationship ever. And one of the most powerful brought to us again in remembrance on Friday night was Jesus and Judas. On Jesus' part, a very healthy relationship. On Judas' part, not so. Someone emailed me after the night and said that they were so taken by that one moment, whereas the guest of honor, Jesus, would have taken bread and placed it in the mouth of Judas, that in that culture and in that day, if, as a man would do that, as a person would take a piece of bread and, and place it in the mouth of the person to their left, that was culturally right to do in that setting. That he, that that person was saying, "You're my friend." I love you, I highly esteem you, I would die for you, but it was also, and I forgive you. It is so critical for us to remember to occasionally assess the value of the relationships that we have, both godly and those who do not encourage us in the things of God. Closing this morning, Paul deals with the subject of trust. I bring us to verses 20 and 21 when what we read this morning, he says, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And so we're brought immediately to Paul's absolute trust of the Lord in Philemon. His absolute uh, willingness to know and believe that Philemon will not only just Voluntarily receive Onesimus, forget the debt, receive him as a brother, but go even beyond that to what? Maybe welcome him in as a family member. Maybe highly esteem him in the body of Christ and join in those church meetings in his house and and tell everyone in the home... My friend Onesimus, who was gone, has come back to me, and he he now is walking with our Savior and our Lord. Welcome Him, you know? Those kind of things. Trust. Paul trusted the Lord in Philemon. And how important it is for us this morning, beloved, to trust the Lord in others. You got it. That's condescending, I'm sorry. You don't have to do anything what i need to remind myself of is to trust the lord in people if you know they're born again can't can't we just take our hands off of endeavoring to rightly bring them to a given goal that we have in our mind of their spirituality or their devotion time or their Bible reading or their prayers or their church service or, you know, whatever. Let go. Trust the Lord in them. And let the Lord have his way. It's a reminder to me this morning Perhaps it's a reminder some of us. So I I love this book. and, And Paul then closes with these comments as he brings to Philemon's memory, verse 22. But meanwhile, while all this is going on in your life, Philemon, I want you to also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust through your prayers that I will be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you, as do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And amen. What a joyful, fun filled, deeply filled, and important letter that brings such great truth to us in this day and this age. How's your heart this morning? Pulse check. Did you come in ready and willing to just volunteer it to the Lord? Here's my heart. Here I am, Lord, arms wide open. Gracefully broken. Broken. How's your acceptance with joy going? Are the circumstances upon which you find yourself not quite understanding? Are you that individual that knows Romans 8.28 by heart, but it's getting it from here to here and here? (laughs) Might be able to say the verse, but am I really able to embrace it as a living principle and trust so that my joy is not taken from me. Acceptance with joy. Assessing those relationships, the ones that are godly, encouraging them, the ones that are not, maybe making, taking a new inventory, asking the Lord what he would have you to do, and, and above all, trusting the Lord in others that God will do what he wants and as he wants, when he wants in their lives, it's not up to you and I. Great book, great time. I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll look forward to celebrating next Sunday Resurrection, because it was thousands of years ago on a pre-appointed time that Jesus, on on Palm Sunday, that we celebrate during the feast, Passover feast, would have come into Jerusalem, Josephus tells us that during that period of time, as they would have been sacrificing animals to again uh, celebrate the Passover, and hundreds of thousands of people would fall upon Jerusalem for the peace, that the amount of animals sacrificed, one year they took a census of the amount of animals sacrificed during that Passover week. I don't know what year that was. Josephus tells us that on the year that they did that, there were over 256,500 animals slain and the blood poured out. We know that From the time of the Maccabeans, 164 B.C., palm branches became somewhat a symbol. And they began that at 164 for the rededicating of the temple. Also, around that same year, as they were seeking to gain their independence before Rome conquered... The palm trees became, they would have been date palms. They're a little bit different than our coconut palm tree uh, visually. They became, again, a symbol for their independence. And, and finally, during Jesus' day, the palm tree emblem was struck onto the coins of, of insurgent Judeans that were involved in their revolution or their revolt against Rome during around 66 to 70 AD, also in 132 to 135 AD. But what Jesus did on this particular week before the resurrection that we celebrate is he fulfilled prophecy concerning himself in Zechariah 9.9 that tells us the Messiah would come in on a donkey, the foal of a donkey. And why is that significant and different? Because kings would typically ride in to society on a horse. And what Jesus was saying and doing as he entered the streets of Jerusalem and his followers said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on this Donkey, Jesus was saying, my kingdom is a different kingdom. It is not a military kingdom. It is not a social kingdom. It is not a political kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. And to those who seek to follow me, I will grant unto them a new spirit. As they are washed in my blood, forgiven by my grace, embrace what I will do, on a cross in just a handful of days. To that we say thank you, Lord. Will you join me in a closing word of prayer this morning? We'll invite the team back up. Lord, we want to just thank you again for this time together, for your precious word, and you have made that promise to us that whenever it goes out, it accomplishes the thing for which it has been sent. And this morning, Lord, believing and knowing that you are reminding us today That you work all things together for our good. That you desire that we walk through this life with joy, accepting the things that come our way. Because you willingly also said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That we, your people today, would echo that as a life-directing verse. In all decisions we make, the paths we choose to go down, the relationships that we make, Lord, would you remind us to keep our hearts soft and willing because of what you've done for us. We love you today, Lord. We worship you. We ask that you receive our worship in Jesus' name.